Mystery Theater presents This is Christopher Lee, the host of Mystery Theater. Why do they do it? Crime stoppers who put their lives on the line. Solving mysteries can be dangerous to your health, especially when you're dealing with psychos and cold-blooded killers. The hours are long, the pay doesn't add up to much, and the benefits are lousy. Maybe it's because they have a calling, like doctors or priests. Except that for these bloodhounds, there's something else at stake. Call it dedication to truth, no matter what the price. It may be a thankless job, but someone has to do it. This time, two of our dramas feature righteous men who step up to solve crimes on Boston Blackie and This Is Your FBI. The other is a tale from the future on X-1. So stay with us. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome back to Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. Boston Blackie was a former safecracker who decided to turn good guy and use his knowledge of the underworld to solve crime cases. His efforts were sometimes hampered by Inspector Faraday, who wasn't convinced that Blackie was on the straight and narrow. Time now for Dick Colmar in Uncle Frank Murdered by Joe Parker on Boston Blackie. Hello, Uncle Frank. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm fine. 
fine, Uncle Frank. How are you? Oh, I guess I'm all right, Joe. <laughs> well, it's nice of you to come see me. Well, I've meant to drop in on you for some time now, but I've been busy with my apartment building. A lot of repairs to take care of, you know, and I have to do most of the work myself. Yes, repairs are expensive, aren't they? Well, the labor on them is. That's why I have to do most of my own work. <laughs> uh, Joe, I like you, <laughs> but you aren't very subtle. <laughs> I know you want my money. <laughs> you probably need it. Well, one of these days, son, you will have it. <laughs> Maybe sooner than you... Yes, Uncle Frank? What were you saying? Joe, what are you doing with that gun? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Pointing it at you. Joe, put down that gun. Put it down. Oh, no. You said I'd get your money sooner than I thought. Well, I'm getting it sooner than you thought. Well, you're an idiot, Joe. You know you can't get away with murder. But I know I can, Uncle Frank. I've planned this much too perfectly for it to be anything less than a perfect crime. No one saw me come in, Uncle Frank. No one. And no one will see me leave. Maybe so, but the police will find out you're my only living relative, my sole heir, the only person in the world to benefit by my death. I'm going to tell them that myself as soon as they come to you me. You don't dare. If you did, they'd ask you where you were at this time. They'd say, Joe, where were you at 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoon? And you won't be able to answer that without going to the chair. <laughs> you know, you're very funny, Uncle Frank. But I've already taken care of Tuesday. And I'm going to take care of you right now. Oh! to Dick Calmer as Boston Blackie, enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend. Faraday, it's been three days since the murder of Frank Wilson. Three days, three whole days, and what have you done to catch Wilson's killer? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Oh, but we've done all we can so far, Commissioner Blake. We know who killed Frank Wilson, his nephew, Joe Parker. We're looking for Parker now. And we'll... Yes? Inspector Faraday, we've located Joe Parker. He's at this address. Good work, Rollins. Let me have that. And get me a squad car, quick. Yes, sir. Well, Commissioner Blake, just watch me now. I'm going to grab Parker, prove he killed Wilson, and then sit back and let you congratulate me. Hello, Aunt Margaret. Oh, Blackie, will you come in? Thanks. Oh, well, nice of you to call, Blackie. I haven't seen you all week. I've been busy, Aunt Margaret. Say, you're looking well. How do you feel? Oh, I'm fine, thanks to those sleeping tablets that Dr. James gave me. Swell, I'm glad to hear it. Say, I've got good news for you. Oh, no, now, don't tell me you found an apartment for me. <laughs> I have, and in my building, too. Blackie, how wonderful. Well, you'd better see it before you say that. Uh, will you see who's at the door, Blackie? Sure. If it's the newsboy, his money is on the table there by the door. Oh, yes, I see. Yes, you want to... Faraday! Blackie, what are you doing here? When you think of a better question, I'll think of an answer to it. What's old, Inspector? Old? I'll old you if you bother me in this case. Step aside, Blackie. Okay, Rollins, bring Parker in. Yes, Blackie, come on, Parker. What is this Sure. Stick around, Blackie, and watch me solve a murder case in three seconds. Well, thanks, Faraday, but I won't be able to wait. I only have a couple of hours to spare. Quiet. Uh, lady, I'm Inspector Faraday of the police. You Margaret Cooper? Yes. Good. Miss Cooper, do you know this man? Well, yes, he's Joe Parker. What else do you know about him? Well, he lives in the other half of this house. And he's, he's my landlord. Uh -huh. Well, do you know that on Tuesday of this week, in fact, Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, he killed a man? 
No. Yes. But he says he was here in your apartment all day Tuesday, fixing the plumbing in your kitchen. Well, as a matter of fact, he was. I'm quite certain, Inspector Faraday. You see, Tuesday is the day Tilly Blaine comes to clean. And uh, Tilly was here when Mr. Parker was here. He was fixing the plumbing. Well, I guess this is all you want with me, Inspector. You stay right where you are, Parker. Come here, Blackie. I want to talk to you. What happens if I don't want to listen? You'll listen, and you'll like it. Come on over here. Thanks for telling them the truth, Miss Cooper. You certainly said... What do you want, Faraday? Look, Blackie. I know Joe Parker is guilty. Could this Miss Cooper be lying? Oh, no, Faraday. One thing I know Aunt Margaret wouldn't do is lie. And she doesn't scare easily, in case you think Parker may have threatened her. Blackie, believe me, Parker killed Wilson. I know it. And he killed Wilson Tuesday afternoon. That's definite. But you heard what Aunt Margaret said. Yes, I heard what she said. You're a big help. All right, Rollins, we'll have to release Parker. Let's get out of here. Yes, sir. Leaving so soon, Inspector? Yes. Don't you leave town, Parker. Sorry to bother you, Miss Cooper. Oh, that's quite all right. So long, Blackie. Uh, wait a minute, Faraday. I'll go with you. Aunt Margaret, that apartment in Sunset Towers will be ready for you to look at tomorrow. Mary and I will call for you about two tomorrow afternoon. All right, Blackie. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, Miss Cooper. I'd be in jail now for murder if you hadn't told the inspector I was here all day Tuesday. I told him that because you were here all day. I wouldn't lie, Mr. Parker. Not even to send you to prison. You see, I hate lying even more than I hate you. House, 19 Orange Street. You want to come in with me, Mary? Well, I think I better, Blackie. Tilly may be a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'm seeing her because she cleans Aunt Margaret's apartment every Tuesday. Happy now? Overjoyed. But I'll go with you just the same. All right. Wait, I'll get on your side. Okay. You know, I certainly wind up in some queer places with you, Blackie. I know how your life can be made normal again. Oh, just a minute. That was a comment, not a complaint, darling. <laughs> I'm staying with you. <laughs> hey, what if Tilly's not home? Then we'll wait here till she is home. Brilliant decision. Masterful. How do you do it? Oh, shucks. I think I'm smart. Things like that all the time. Oh. Yeah? I'd like to speak to Tilly Blaine, please. I'm her. May we come in? I don't know. What you want? Well, tell her here, Blackie, and we won't have to go in. The master acknowledges a fellow genius. Mm -hmm. Tilly, do you clean house for Margaret Cooper? Uh, sure. Yeah, I clean house for Miss Cooper every Tuesday. Been doing cleaning for Miss Cooper every Tuesday for years. What did you clean house for last Tuesday? Well, sure, lady. I cleaned house for Miss Cooper all day last Tuesday, like always. Uh, well, tell me, was anyone else in Miss Cooper's apartment while you were there? Sure. That uh, Mr. Parker was there. A fellow owns the building. He held me up with all the mess he made, fixing the pipes in the kitchen. I see. And how long was Parker there? I don't know. He was there when I came to start cleaning. That was 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning. He was there when I left with my cleaning done. Well, that was after 5 o'clock. Tuesday afternoon, I see. Oh, well. Too bad, Blackie. Too bad. Too, too bad. Unless there were two Tuesdays this week. <laughs> Nice of you to drop in on me, baby. Swell surprise. Glad to see me. Oh, I'll show you how glad. <laughs> oh, Joe, don't 
squeeze me so hard. I'm sorry, baby. It's just that I feel good tonight, I guess. Mm, you certainly do. What are you so pepped up about? I got a right to be, baby. I'm driving them crazy. Driving who crazy? The cops. <laughs> they know I killed Uncle Frank, and on Tuesday, too. But they can't prove it. Why not, Joe? Honey, that's one thing I won't even tell you. How would you like the name Diana Larson on an apartment door at the Sunset Towers? Are you kidding? Can you get me an apartment at the Towers? The way I'm going, honey, there isn't anything I can't get you. You go on down there, baby. You'll get that apartment if you ask for it nice. Oh, I'll ask for it nice, all right. But what's that grin on your face for? Grin? Hmm. It's kind of a sample. You see, you getting that apartment is going to be a laugh on Boston Blackie. Cooper, this is Tom Bradley, the superintendent of Sunset Towers. Tom, Miss Cooper. How do you How do, you do, do, Mr. Bradley? And Tom, you know Miss Wesley, of course. Sure, sure. How are you, Miss Wesley? Oh, I'm fine, Mr. Bradley. Tom, Miss Cooper's here to see about that apartment you said would be available today. I'm afraid I got bad news for you, Blackie. It's already rented. Oh, dear. Oh, what? Oh, oh look, dear. Tom, you told me you were oh. saving that apartment for me. You promised you would. No, I didn't now, Blackie. If you'll think back, you'll remember I told you I wouldn't tell anybody about it till after you'd had a chance to take it. Well, then why is it already rented? Well, somebody came in yesterday afternoon and asked to see it, so I had to show it. Oh, and you didn't tell dear. anybody about it, Mr. Bradley? No, Miss Wesley, not a soul. But... Wait a minute. Wait a minute, I've got an idea who rented that apartment ahead of us. Who, Blackie? Joe Parker. He heard me tell you about it yesterday. Uh, Tom, was the apartment here rented by a tall, dark fellow uh, wearing glasses? No, Blackie, it was rented by a small blonde girl wearing a smile. She said her name was Diana Black. But I've seen her picture in the paper as Diana Larson. Diana Larson. Blackie, she's singing on the stage at the Garden Theater. At the Garden, huh? Well, let's go down to the garden and see if we can dig up a clue. Say, you, where's Diana Lawson's dressing room? Right over there, mister. And if you want to see her, you'll have to hurry. She goes on stage in a minute. Thanks. Come on, Mary. Oh, no, I think I'll just wander on backstage, Blackie. You see how considerate I'm getting? Yes, and don't think I'm not surprised. <laughs> You're going to leave me alone with a lovely lady? Oh, but the doorman said that she'd go on in a minute. Okay, darling, I'll see you when you get out. <laughs> okay. Hello. Diana Lawson? Yes. May I come in? Why, yes, but I go on the stage in a moment. I'll keep you only a moment. All right. Am I supposed to know who you are? I doubt it. I'm Boston Blackie. Boston Blackie? My. Are you sure you're looking for me? Yes. You rented an apartment at 51 Sunset Parkway yesterday. I'd like to find out how you happen to know that apartment was vacant. I don't think that's any of your business. That shows how wrong you are. Uh, the picture of that fellow in glasses, Miss Lawson, the picture on your dressing table. That your boyfriend? Maybe yes, maybe no. Want me to take my choice, huh? Well, let's see what he's written on it. It's a baby. Who do you love? So? So Joe Parker asked you a question, but he gave me the answer. The answer to how you got that tower's apartment. 
And now, back to Boston Blackie. Police are sure Joe Parker killed his uncle Frank Wilson on a Tuesday afternoon. But the police can't arrest Joe because Margaret Cooper, a respected citizen and aunt of Boston Blackie, insists that he was in her apartment all day the day of the murder. A cleaning woman, Tilly Blaine, also strengthens Parker's alibi. The next day, unable to make any headway with the case, Blackie and Mary take Miss Cooper to the superintendent of Blackie's building to see an apartment that is vacant. But they learn the apartment is already rented to a Miss Diana Larson, girlfriend of Joe Parker. As we return to our story, Inspector Faraday is in his office. Rollins! Hey, Rollins! Yes, Inspector? Any word from the lab on those Wilson case reports? Nothing yet, Inspector, but they'll be through soon. Well, hurry them up. We've got to get some proof against that guy Parker Step before commission. Rollins, let genius enter the realm of the uninformed. Blanky, you stay out of my office. I've got an unsolved murder on my hands. Now, scram, Blanky, before I take it out on you. Faraday, why don't you be smart about it and let me beat this case for you? You couldn't beat a drum for me. Now, listen, Blackie, I've had just about enough of you. Well, you don't want much, do you? I haven't come anywhere near giving my all. Well, whatever it is, it's all I can take. Rollins, what are you standing there for? I told you to get out of here. Me, Inspector? You, Rollins. Somebody better get out of here. Yes, sir. Faraday, I've got an announcement to make. You're about to go to work for me. Me work for you? That'll be the day. Okay, then it's the day. Listen, I just got this wire from someone in Kansas City who knows who killed Wilson. It says... If you'll meet me in the Scranton Hotel here Saturday night, I'll tell you who killed Frank Wilson. Hey, let me look at that wire. Who signed it? It's unsigned, Faraday. Even you can tell that. Look, give me a letter of introduction to the chief of police in Kansas City saying I am okay, will you? I need his help. You think I'm crazy? Leading question, Faraday. Try it sometime when I'm not asking you for a favor. Nothing doing. If you go to Kansas City, you go on your own. And if you ask me... You're going out there on a wild goose chase. Maybe so, but so far in this case, you've wound up with a big goose egg. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. James, I thought you'd never get here. Oh, I came as soon as I could, Mr. Parker. I'm awfully busy on Monday. Uh, What's the matter with Miss Cooper? She won't wake up. I was worried when I couldn't reach her on the phone, so I came down to her apartment here. She must have taken too many sleeping tablets, Doctor. She's been sleeping since Saturday night, and here it is Monday. Hmm. Have a look at her. I warned her against taking too many sleeping tablets. I'd better try to wake her up. Miss Cooper. Doctor, do you think she... She's 
sleeping rather deeply, isn't she? Yes, but her breathing is normal enough. Miss Cooper... I tried shaking her a little while ago. It didn't do any good. You must have done some good. She seems to be coming out of it. Miss Cooper. Miss Cooper, wake up. Oh, oh my. Who is... Oh, Dr. James, what are you doing here? What's the matter? You've been asleep, Miss Cooper, for a long time. It's Monday morning. What? Monday? But at last I knew it was Saturday night. What's he doing here? Parker, he called me when he couldn't get you on the telephone and then couldn't wake you when he investigated. Oh, well, I'm uh, awfully sorry I alarmed you, Doctor. Uh, and you too, Mr. Parker. That's okay. I'm glad you're all right. I'll be going, Miss Cooper. You say Sunday is a day of rest, but you certainly overdid it. Good afternoon, Blackie. Hello, Mary. How are you, Aunt Margaret? Oh, I'm fine. I hope you didn't try to get me on the phone yesterday, though, Blackie. I I slept all day long. You did? Uh-huh. Well, as a matter of fact, I wasn't even in town yesterday. I flew to Kansas City the night before to see a little man who wasn't there. I don't understand. Blackie got a telegram saying a man would meet him in Kansas City and tell him who killed Mr. Wilson. But the man didn't show up. Well, why not? Obviously, somebody was trying to get me out of town over Sunday and did a good job of it, too. Say, do you mind if I turn on your radio? I want to hear the news. Oh, I'm sorry, Blackie. My radio doesn't work. It hasn't worked since last Monday. What's the matter with it? I don't know. Oh, let me take a look at it. What do you know about fixing radios? (laughs) Nothing. I didn't ask to fix it. I just asked to look at it. Okay. Sometimes if you shake these things, they... Say, there's something certainly loose inside it. Better see what. Hey, one of these tubes is out of the socket. No wonder this radio doesn't work. A tube is out? Well, I don't see how that could have happened. I don't either. The way those things are put in, it couldn't have fallen out. Ah, there, I put it back in place. Let's see if your radio works now. Well, it lights up. Oh, it did that before. It just wouldn't play. Ah, well, I have a hunch it's going to play now. Mark, Comey, and me. And baby makes three. Goo. Hey! Hey, there's music on the radio. It works. Well, yes, it does. Genius. Aunt Margaret, I think somebody tampered with your radio so it wouldn't work after Monday night. Look, Aunt Margaret, this is just a shot in the jar. But the police are convinced Joe killed his uncle, Frank, last Tuesday afternoon. And I'm convinced of it, too. Are you sure he was here last Tuesday? Well, yes, Blackie, all day long. I, I know it was Tuesday. Tilly was here to clean, and Tilly comes here every Tuesday. But you didn't listen to the radio Tuesday, did you? Well, I I tried to, but I couldn't. The radio wouldn't work. No, because somebody didn't want it to work. And that somebody is Joe Parker. You're sure it was Tuesday that Joe Parker and Tilly Blaine were here? What are you driving at, Blackie? But of course it was Tuesday. I, I wouldn't have told the police it was Tuesday if it hadn't been Tuesday. I'm sure it was Tuesday. I always get milk on Tuesdays. The milk was on the doorstep, as it always is Tuesday mornings. And the Tuesday paper. Well, that doesn't mean much. Somebody could have put the milk and the paper there any day. Aunt Margaret, something tells me Joe Parker and Tilly Blaine weren't here Tuesday at all. Now, what do you remember about the other days last week? Well, not too much, Blackie. Every day's 
pretty much the same to an old woman. Uh, all I remember is that uh, Tilly was here on Tuesday. The police were here a few days later. And then uh, when I went to sleep Saturday night, it was raining. And Margaret... Did you say it was raining when you went to sleep Saturday night? Yes. That's impossible. What do you mean, Mary? Well, you wouldn't know this, Blackie, because you were out of town. But it didn't rain Saturday night. It rained Sunday night. It didn't rain Saturday no. night? No. Oh, but it did. I remember when I went to bed, it was raining. Well, Aunt Margaret, if it was raining when you went to bed, then you went to bed Sunday night, not Saturday. Oh, but that's impossible. I, I slept all day Sunday. Wait a minute. This is on the way to explaining everything. Aunt Margaret, how do you know you slept all day Sunday? Because Dr. James was here to wake me up. Mr. Parker was alarmed when I slept so long and called the doctor. Uh-huh. So nobody but Parker really knows how long you slept. And, Margaret, you didn't sleep over Sunday. You went to bed Sunday night thinking it was Saturday. But no, Blackie. No. Why would I think it was Saturday night when it was really Sunday? Because Parker arranged it that way. You slept a whole day, but it wasn't Sunday. I'm betting that Tilly Blaine was here not on Tuesday, but on Wednesday. And Joe Parker was here fixing the plumbing not on Tuesday, the day of the murder, but Wednesday. No, Blackie. Yes, Aunt Margaret. You slept all day Tuesday. Joe Parker probably fixed it, so you took an overdose of sleeping tablets Monday night to see to it that you did sleep through Tuesday. Well, but why would he do that? Why? Because he planned his murder of Frank Wilson for Tuesday, and he also planned on using you as an alibi. Who told you what day it was when you woke up on what was really Wednesday morning? Well, no one. I, I, I just thought it was Tuesday because Tilly was here when I woke up. The Tuesday newspaper was outside and the mill. Oh, it would be simple to arrange that. And Parker was here, too? Oh, yes, he woke me up pounding on the pipes he was fixing in the kitchen. Thanks, Aunt Margaret. Don't tell Parker what we've been talking about just now. Juan, Mary. All right. We're going to see Tilly Blaine. I'm going to make that scrub woman help to clean up this case. You didn't go to Miss Cooper's apartment Tuesday, did you, Tilly? I told you I did. I always go to her apartment on Tuesday. But last week you went on Wednesday, didn't you? No, I went on Tuesday, I said. Joe Parker told me it was Wednesday and that he paid you to say it was Tuesday. He did? Yes, and I guess there's nothing I can do for you if you insist upon lying. I'm going to have to turn you over to the police. The police? What for? The implication in the murder of Frank Wilson. You're helping alibi Joe Parker, who killed him. And you'll be tried for murder, too, of course. Murder? Yes, Tilly. Murder. Well, now, wait a minute. I don't want no part of murdering anybody. I didn't murder anyone. Well, I cleaned for Miss Cooper on Wednesday. Mr. Parker told me to. And he paid me to tell anybody who asked that it cleaned on Tuesday. Oh, Blackie, that proves your theory. Yes, and it proves Joe Parker murdered Wilson, too. And on Tuesday, just as the police say he did. Tilly, will you tell the police what you just told me? Well, if I have to. But I don't want any truck with the police. Don't worry, Tilly. You'll go free after you've had your truck with the police. And the police will send their wagon for Joe Parker. We know the whole story, so start talking. Tilly told us most of what we wanted to know. Yes, Parker, and my, how she can talk. 
We know you were free to kill your uncle on Tuesday because it was Wednesday, not Tuesday, that you and Tilly spent in Miss Cooper's apartment. Yeah? Yeah. You gave her an overdose of sleeping tablets on Monday. Woke her up Wednesday morning, but told her it was Tuesday. You had Tuesday's bottle of milk to prove it, Tuesday's papers to prove it, Tilly Blaine to prove it, and you fixed the radio to keep your plan from going wrong. You made only one mistake, Parker. You forgot to consult the weatherman. Did I? Yeah. And let me have the pleasure of telling him about that, Blanky. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay, Parker. You try to fix it so Miss Cooper would be straight on her days again. She went to sleep on what she thought was Saturday night, only it was Sunday night. When you woke her up, you told her she'd slept all day Sunday, and now it was Monday. That set her straight on the days, all right. A little rain threw the whole thing out. But it was very cute. I thought so. And it almost worked, didn't it? I sure had you guys running around in circles when I mixed up Aunt Margaret's days, didn't I? Yes, you sure did, Parker. And maybe Aunt Margaret's days were mixed up, too. But your days are numbered.
That was Dick Colmar in Uncle Frank Murdered by Joe Parker on Boston Blackie from July the 2nd, 1946. Next up, A Tale from the Future on X-1. This is Christopher Lee welcoming you back to Mystery Theatre. Bill Lipton and Peter Cappell star now on X-1 in Dr. Grimshaw's Sanatorium. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium. What you will hear in the next half hour represents either a magnificent hoax or the true explanation of the famous Grimshaw Sanitarium scandal which made the headlines back in 1947. The manuscript upon which this account is based was removed by the New York State Police from a fountain pen cover found in the doorway to Dr. Grimshaw's study. We offer this manuscript as evidence only. Whether it is authentic or not, you must judge for yourselves. My name is John Dougherty. I'm a graduate of Hamilton College, class of 34, a member of Theta Alpha. I'm one of those fools who wanted some excitement in life, so instead of going into my father's shoe business, I became a private detective. These are facts. You can check them if you like. The rest of what I write here is so fantastic that I don't expect it to be believed. If anyone should find this manuscript and read it, all I ask is that you notify Miss Millicent Armbruster of 299 Wallace Avenue, Buffalo, that Johnny Dougherty is dead. On the evening of July 1st, Miss Armbruster and I were driving to a wedding. Not our own, although I wish it had been. It was Sunday, and in order to avoid traffic, I took the old mill road, a single-lane dirt affair that runs past the Gowanda Cemetery. Johnny, aren't you going too fast? Not for this road. There isn't a thing around except some tombstones and... Johnny, the gate to the cemetery. Well, what about it? That hearse, look out! Look out! We skidded for about 20 feet and slammed into the back of the hearse. The two rear doors buckled and snapped open. It was a freak. A huge oak coffin with brass handles tipped up and began slowly to slide back toward us. Oh, how horrible. You stay right here, baby. You okay, Mac? 
You don't pay much attention to speed limits, do you, Jack? Now, look, let's not get hung up on who was right and who was wrong. I was going too fast, and you were traveling without lights after dark. Let's see your driver's license. Right here. Oh. Private eye, eh? Now, if you don't mind, who does this joy wagon belong to? Go on to funeral service. It's being rented to Grimshaw. Who? Grimshaw from the private sanitarium. Mind if I ask what you were doing after dark coming out of a cemetery with a wooden kimono? We're moving one of Grimshaw's patients to a new grave. They always travel like this? Look, Hawkshaw, how about skipping the third degree and giving me a hand getting this box back in the wagon? A pleasure. Better screw on that cover again. It's going to slide off. Let's get it in the hearse first. Okay, Junior, you get on that end. Okay. You ready? Yeah, lift. Just slide it. Oh, brother, who's in there, King Kong? Look out for the cover. I told you that would happen. What's the guy's name, Junior? Oh, why don't you ask him, Sherlock Holmes? A real wise guy, huh? I've got half a mind to report this accident. Yeah, well, go ahead. See where it gets yet. Now, if you'll pardon me, I'll deliver the body. Everything all right, Johnny? Yeah, I thought so until a few seconds ago. Listen, Millie, can you sit here in the car for another five minutes? Where are you going? For a stroll through the cemetery. Oh, Johnny, stop making jokes. When we lifted that coffin back on the meat wagon, I got a good look inside it. Ew. Yeah, exactly how I felt. I figured we'd knock the stuffing out of the corpse, only I didn't expect the stuffing to be sand. What? Yes. That wasn't a body, that was a dummy stuffed with sand. A dummy with a wax face. Johnny! Which brings up an interesting question. Who's supposed to be in that box, and, uh, just where is the dead man spending his time? <laughs> Sometimes in my business, when things drop off, you have to go out and, uh, well, dig up new clients. My next case was a gentleman named Harlan Ward Sr., a wealthy automobile manufacturer. I'd gotten his name off his son's tombstone. Are you trying to tell me, Dorothy, that my son Harlan was never buried at Gowana Cemetery? Exactly, Mr. Ward. But why? Maybe if you'll tell me the circumstances surrounding your son's death, I can help answer that. My son was a rather impetuous young man. Tall, good-looking. After his graduation from Princeton, he began drinking quite heavily. After he got into a couple of scrapes, we sent him to Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium in the hopes that he could be cured. While my wife and I were in Europe, we received word that he died, buried at Guana in our absence. Last week, my wife and I decided to have his body removed to the family vault here at Short Hills. How'd your son die? Suicide. You never saw the body? No. We couldn't get back from Europe in time. Now you tell me that his coffin contains a dummy. How do I know this whole thing isn't a plan to fleece me? You don't. But you're a rich man, Mr. Ward, and you're perfectly willing to take a chance that I'm on the level and that your son may still be alive. You sound very sure of yourself, Mr. Dalton. My fee is a $2,000 retainer plus expenses. What sort of expenses? However much it costs to take the cure at Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium. Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium was just outside Gowanda. Most of the cases were nervous breakdowns and alcoholics. I committed myself as a dipso, and just to make it convincing, I stopped at five or six bars on the way over. I was interviewed by Grimshaw himself. 
A small man with a fringe of white hair. You understand, Mr. Dorothy. That's not my real name, of course. Social reasons. We understand. Our paid clientele is very select and our rates are very high. You'll be paid in cash and in advance, Dr. Grimshaw. How long does a cure usually take? Uh, that, of course, depends on the degree of alcoholism. Uh, this is my assistant, Dr. Boyna. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, we are accepting Mr. Dorothy as a patient. Better place him in the ward with Mr. K and Mr. Kreiki. Uh, Mr. K is a long-term patient, Mr. Dorothy. A highly intelligent man, formerly a professor of plant pathology. Uh, Mr. Kreiki uh, suffers mild delusions. I think you'll find him rather amusing. After about three days, my roommates Arthur K and Crakey got used to me. And we even began to play three-handed bridge. K was a chronic dope addict, an intelligent, sensitive man. Crakey was nothing but a clown. He kept a big black cat named the Professor, which he talked to as if it were human. And so I said to her, my dear Countess, if you don't like the company of my cat, then you don't like me. She looked at me as if I were insane. But, of course, the joke was on her because I was. a eh, Professor? Meow. The Professor is very sociable. Excellent company. Except when he kills birds and deposits them in your bed. He's nothing but a feline murderer as far as I'm concerned. Ah, see? You have insulted him, Mr. K. Come here, Professor. Let's make friends. How about giving me your paw? Oh! Scratched me, you black devil. You insulted him. You hurt his feelings. Well, just keep him away from me. It will be a pleasure. I would advise you not to insult him again. Good afternoon and evening. Is he always as nuts as that? Ever since I've been here. What's his problem? Manic depressive. And a little paranoid, too. How long have you been here, Arthur? At Grimshaw's? Two years. I left for a while, but I couldn't stay away from the junk, so I committed myself again. Did you uh, happen to know a patient here named Harlan Ward? Why do you ask that? Did you know him? No, I met him socially a few times. I understand he died here. So the newspapers said I wouldn't know. Suicide, wasn't it? Was it? You're being pretty careful, aren't you? Mr. Doherty, what would you say if I were to tell you that I don't believe Harlan Ward is dead? What makes you so certain? He used to share this room with us. He slept in the same bed you now use. I see. He was an alcoholic, doing quite well, too, from what I could observe. We all expected him to go home soon. Then one evening he had a violent fight with Crakey. Crakey accused him of snooping or something. Later that night, Grimshaw and Voyner took him out. Where? Where they take all the special treatment cases to the charity clinic. More from X-1 after these words. 
Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now, back to X-1. Special treatment cases to the charity clinic. It's that small building on the other side of the stone wall. A few days later, we read about his death. Suicide, they said. Just what makes you think he's still alive, Arthur? This... About a month ago, I was in the garden next to the wall that separates us from the charity clinic. Suddenly, I thought I heard a sound, like a child whimpering. It stopped. And a moment later, this note came over the wall, wrapped around a stone. What's it say? Help me, for God's sake, Harlan Ward. Arthur, how would you like to have some fun? Like what? Like sneaking out tonight and going over the wall to the charity ward? What do you say? It would break the monotony a little. I suppose there's no real harm in it. Of course not. I'd go alone, but I'll need help scaling the wall. Will you do it? All right. I'll go with you. Up. All clear. Give me a hand and I'll lift you. Yeah. Be careful when you drop. Ready? Go ahead. There's a charity building over there. The one with the lights in the basement window. Come on. Let's crawl over. Maybe we can see something. Listen. Can you make out what he's saying? No, I can barely hear. Good Lord. What was that? Probably some patient having the DTs. Let's have a look. Easy, it wouldn't do to get caught now. See anything? Uh, some sort of laboratory. I can see Grimshaw and Voin and something else. Well, there's a child with its back toward me. I'll take it quietly. It will be easier. Please, no! It will all be over soon. You won't remember anything. No, I don't want to go! Why not give it to him? No, no! Shut him up, boy, now! Good Lord. What was it? What did they do to that child? Arthur, that wasn't a child. It was a midget. The smallest midget I've ever seen. What were they doing? Trying to give it some sort of injection. When it resisted, Boyna knocked it out. What do you suppose they were doing to it? I don't know, Arthur. All I know is that when it fell, it had the face of Harlan Ward. <laughs> Thank you. 
All the way back to our room, my brain was working like some frantic pinball machine. Only the score somehow wouldn't add up. The pieces were there, all right. A crazy old doctor, a brutal assistant, a private sanitarium, and a midget with a dead man's face. I thought that when I got back to our room, I'd have some time to think about it. I'd forgotten about our friend, the happiness boy, Count Crakey. Caught you. Fine, you've caught us. Now how about crawling back into the woodwork like a good little count? Where were you? Mink hunting. Arthur and I like to go mink hunting at night. You make fun of Count Crickey? I shall report you to Dr. Voiner. You'd better not if you know what's good for you. So, you threaten me. Me, Count Crickey. I shall scream for help. Help! Help! Did you hurt him? Just knocked him out. What do we do now? Put him to bed. Hope that when he wakes up in the morning, he's forgotten the whole thing. And if he hasn't... He's too crazy for them to take seriously anyway. Come on, let's get him back into bed. I went to sleep in my own room. And the next thing I felt was the sharp jab of the hypodermic needle in my left arm. Hold it. It'll be useless to struggle, Mr. Dorothy. In a moment, your motor nerves will be completely paralyzed. What's this about, Grimshaw? I might ask the same of you. My good friend Count Crakey informs me you and Mr. K decided to do some snooping earlier tonight. He followed you and saw you climb the wall. Crakey's insane. Mr. Doherty, that is a matter of opinion. Crakey, what is this? Perhaps my assistant, Dr. Grimshaw, would be good enough to explain. Assistant? Yes. You see, I am the actual head of the Grimshaw Sanatorium. Count Crakey feigns many delusions, Mr. Dorothy. But in this case, he is telling the truth. Count Crakey is actually Professor Ernst Hassler. Professor Hassler and I worked together in the Berlin Neurological Institute before and during the last war. Unfortunately, my political affiliations with the Third Reich were under investigation by the War Crimes Commission. However, Dr. Grimshaw managed to smuggle me into this country where I masqueraded as a mental patient in order that we might continue certain experiments which were interrupted by the American army. I can imagine the sort of experiments you conducted. You and your friend Mr. K will discover their exact nature very shortly, Mr. Dorothy. It is a magnificent opportunity to serve science. I passed out. And the next thing I knew, I was coming to in a different room and hearing the voices of Voina, Grimshaw, and Crakey, as if from a great distance. Pituitrin. Pituitrin. Four cc's. Four cc's. How are the measurements? Reducing rapidly. We'll operate at once. Have Voina start the anesthesia. Very well, Doctor. Come in. came to again, I had a blinding headache. I began to wonder if Crakey and Grimshaw weren't doing something to drive me insane, because I lost all sense of perspective. The room seemed to grow in size. I don't know how much time passed, but one day Crakey came into the room with a bundle in his arms about the size of a newborn baby. The bundle was my friend, Arthur Kay. And worse yet, I was exactly the same size that he was. Let me out of here. Let me out. Allow me to congratulate you, gentlemen. How are you feeling? You don't 
dirty monster. I'm disappointed, gentlemen. Do you not feel privileged to be a part of an experiment that will place me at the very top rank of the world's endocrinologists? What are you doing to us, you madman? It has long been established, gentlemen, that dwarfism and giantism result from injury to or malfunction of the pituitary and thyroid glands. The interlock between these glands was thought to be a hormone. I have discovered that this was incorrect. It was an enzyme. An enzyme I isolated some years ago. I was well on the way to synthesis in Germany when the surrender interrupted me. The interruption also limited the number and type of subjects on whom I could experiment. I was forced to find others. Such as Harlan Ward? Mr. Ward was only a control experiment. I suppose you plan the same for us. No, gentlemen. For you, I have reserved a special privilege. You gentlemen will be the first to test the full effects of the enzyme. In short, I intend that you, Mr. K, and you, Mr. Doherty, when the experiment is completed, will emerge as perfectly healthy, normal individuals. Except, of course, that you will be only five inches tall. The days and nights that followed were a living nightmare. A nightmare from which Arthur and I awoke for brief periods to find ourselves in a strange new world. A huge, frightening world where everything seemed enlarged a hundred times. When we finally emerged, we found ourselves imprisoned in a tiny mouse cage. Judging by the relative size of things, we could not have been more than five inches tall. Now we realized the experiment was at an end. That from now on, it was either escape or be destroyed. How's it coming, Arthur? Another moment. I think I'll have this lock worked loose. And if we escape, then what? We'll worry about that. After we get out of this mouse cage, suppose we don't make it. At least you've written a story on that scrap of paper. Someone may find it and read it. Nobody will believe it. And why did you bother to write it? I don't know. I suppose I want the world to know what happened to me. That does it. Help me push the door open. Now what? The first job is getting down to the floor. I think we can make it by sliding down the telephone cord. Are you game? Go ahead. I'm right behind you. Easy now. Look out! That does it. Now, if we can figure out a way to get out of the room, well, that should be... Uh-oh. Listen. Somebody's coming. It must be Crakey. We've got to hide. Here. The grate in the fireplace. He'll kill us if he finds us. Well, my friends. Time for feeding. I trust that you... Uh... So... You have managed to break out. It won't do, you know. There is no way you could have gotten out of the room with the door and window locked. I know you are in here. I would advise you to save yourselves trouble and give up. Very well, my tiny friends. If you prefer to play the game of cat and mouse, then I shall be happy to furnish the cat. There is no way you can get out. What now? He's gone for the cat. If that monster ever gets in here, we're goners. There must be... Wait a minute. What? You see that thin strand of wire running along the molding? What about it? It's the automatic fire alarm. When the alarm is tripped by a fire or short circuit, all the locks are sprung. 
doctors, the patients can escape from their rooms. If I can short that wire before Crazy lets the cat into the building, let's go. There's a tiny sliver of steel from the cage on the floor. I'll work with that. You keep an ear to the door. Go ahead. This insulation is tough as rawhide. Blast this stuff. Hurry up, Arthur, for God's sake. There it is. Stand away. I'm going to short it. Ready? Okay. We made it. There goes the door. Let's make a run for it down the hall. If we can get to the garden, we've got a chance. I smell smoke. The short may have actually started the fire. Come on. Wait a minute. I have to go back. The manuscript. Don't be a fool. There's no time. Come on. You go ahead. I'll catch up. Hurry up. I'll wait in the hall. Only a second. I've got it. Come on. There's nothing to stop us now. Arthur? Where are you? Funny. Arthur? Arthur? Arthur, what's happened to you? <coughs> This is the record found in a fountain pen cover in the burned-out hallway of Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium. There's nothing to add, except that the fire which destroyed the sanitarium and killed so many of its occupants, including Dr. Grimshaw and Dr. Voina, was definitely of incendiary nature. It is believed by the fire chief that some small creature, possibly a mouse, chewed the insulation off the wire and short-circuited the system. The two patients, John Doherty and Arthur Kay, vanished completely after the fire, and their remains were never found. Whether the manuscript which you have just heard is authentic, or whether it was the work of one of the more demented inmates of the sanitarium, we leave to your judgment. You have just heard X-1. Tonight's story by transcription was Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium, a tale of science fiction written by Fletcher Pratt and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Bill Lipton as Doherty, Rosemary Prinz as Millicent, Leon Janney as Mac, Arthur Maitland as Mr. Ward, Ted Osborne as Grimshaw, Peter Capel as Crakey, Roger DeCoven as Kay, and Frank Milano as The Cat. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is an NBC Radio Network production. You've just heard X-1 and Dr. Grimshaw's Sanatorium from July the 14th, 1955. In a moment, this is your FBI. Welcome back to Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. Now, Stacey Harris stars in Escaped Prisoners of War on another true case from the files of This Is Your FBI. This is your FBI. This is your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security and to the Equitable Society for financial security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country.
story of a peril to the nation. Escape prisoners of war. There are several million Nazis across the sea. Each one of them is a threat to the security of this country. There are several hundred thousand Nazis right here within our borders, prisoners of war. Each one of them who escapes is a threat to the internal security of this country because they are Nazis. And for us, for our democracy, for our way of life, Nazis have but one feeling, contempt. The FBI proved that less than a year ago by a case that broke on the morning of June 19th. Early that sunny morning, two soldiers, two G.I.s, were walking through a patch of woods on their way back to camp. Hey, look, Eddie, a rabbit. What am I supposed to do, salute? Gee, did you see him go, boom, right into the ground? Probably crawled down a hole to sleep. Gee, if he's just down a little hole... What are you pawing around for now? I always wanted to have a rabbit for a pet. All right, so you always wanted a rabbit. This is no... Hey, Eddie. Yeah? What kind of a rabbit could dig a hole this big? A big rabbit. Come on. Hey, these leaves are just covering up the entrance to a... tunnel, it looks like. A big sake, Mickey. Hey, it is a tunnel. Come on in. I'm too tired. Oh, come on. What do you got to lose? Where's your pioneer spirit? And where's your rabbit? And don't tell me. What's the matter? It stops here, that's all. Oh, that's great. Now, I suppose we crawl back like a couple of brave pioneers. Wait a second. Help me push this thing up. What thing? Uh, The roof here. Feels like boards or a trap door or something. Yeah, does. Come on, push. I'm tired. How will you push? One, two, three. Eddie, close it. Eddie, you know where we are? Yeah. Right under the barracks of the Nazi prisoners. That was on Monday morning, June 19th. But the tunnel had already been used. During the night of the 18th, two Nazi prisoners had escaped. That was in Texas. And immediately, the FBI headquarters in that state were notified by military authorities. They weren't caught unprepared because special arrangements had been made for such an emergency. And the special agents went to work immediately. The newspapers, the radio stations... And most important, the local police of Dallas and Fort Worth were notified and given detailed descriptions of the two men. The police radioed warnings to all sheriffs and all peace officers. And broadcasts were also sent out over the Texas State Patrol's network. By late afternoon, the FBI was busy checking the dozens and dozens of reports which kept coming in. Dean speaking. Yes? Yes. Yes, okay. Thanks a lot, Sheriff. All right. Well, that's another lead gone, Phil. 
Which one? Those two fellas spotted fixing a puncture on a back road. Those local police sure get on the job quick. Age 23. What? I was just reading over the description of Tanner. Oh. Lieutenant Paul Tanner of the German Navy. Captured when submarine disabled by depth chart. Dean speaking. Yeah? Uh-huh. I see. Okay, thanks a lot. All right. Which one was that? Those two men seen sleeping in that cemetery. Bad lead? Yes. Something's got to turn up, Dean. Yes, and you know when it does, Hackenberg's going to be easier to spot than Tanner. Because of that scar on his cheek? Yes. Well, with the whole state out on the hunt, there's got to be... Dean speaking. Yes? Yes? Yes. Thanks. Right. Bicycle was stolen from a house one mile from the camp the night of the escape. Bicycle? Yes, and the house was on the same road the prisoners took when they went on labor details. That sounds good. That sounds better than good. Two men on one bicycle. They ought to be easy to spot, Phil. If we can spot them before they get rid of the bike, let's send out a call. Right. Late that afternoon, a truck driver reported seeing two men on a bicycle on the night of the escape. An hour later came another call. A farmer had seen two men on a bicycle the morning after the escape. Then there were no more calls, no more reports. The search was intensified, but by one o'clock on the morning of the 20th, the two Nazis and the bicycle seemed to have disappeared, seemed to have vanished completely. Where were they? At that moment, at one o'clock on the morning of June 20th, they were sitting in a diner. Dressed in blue jeans and khaki shirts, drinking coffee, two escaped Nazis were sitting in an all-night diner in a small town in Texas, USA. You boys want anything with that coffee? No, thanks. You ain't from around here, are you? No. Just passing through? Yes. Where are you heading? Uh, east. East, huh? I know somebody's going east. Maybe we will have something else. Uh, do you have any pie? Sure, what kind you want? Oh, anything that's good. You pick it out. Yeah, trust me. Sure. Okay. Two pieces? Yes. Okie doke. Whitey, let, let me have two cuts of that peach pie. Okay. Now, Whitey, now. I heard ya. Gee, I'm getting hungry myself. Scramble me up a couple of eggs? I just ate an hour ago. Well, I'm a growing girl. Scramble up the eggs, you cheapskate. Here's your pie. Thanks. Toast with them eggs, too. It's peach pie, boys. Don't shoot. I don't think we want the pie, after all. But you ordered it. We have to go. Here. You didn't even finish your coffee. Come call? on, let's go. Let's go! Oh. Good night. Come with those eggs, Whitey. Well, keep your shirt on. You'll get them. You can put this pie back. What's the matter? Beats me. Didn't they want it? They didn't want nothing. They even left the coffee. <laughs> Millionaires, huh? Come on, make with the eggs. The griddle ain't hot enough yet. Park yourself. Here, ring this up. I'll keep the change. How much? Dime. You ain't gonna charge him for the pie, are you? I guess not. 
And what those guys rush out for? Now, how do I know? That griddle looks hot enough to me. You want your toast, though, don't you? And coffee. Uh, how about a steak, too, your highness? Ha, <laughs> ha. Very funny. Whitey. Yeah? What's Tonkashin mean? Huh? Tonkashin or Tonkashine? What? One of those fellas said it to me when I brought him the pie. The pie he didn't eat, huh? Yeah. I think I'll have a piece myself. Oh, here. Tonkashin. What? Maybe that's French for what's your telephone number? French? <laughs> Sounds more like German to me. Where do you get German out of that? Listen, when you want to say thank you in German, dope, you say Dankeschön. That's it. That's what he's... Whitey. Holy crow. That diner was in a small town. But even the smallest town has more than one road leading out of it. And it's never long before a road branches into other roads, into a network of roads, into highways. As soon as the telephone call came in from the diner, the FBI and the local police drove out after the two men on the bicycle, after the escaped Nazi prisoners. They tried to cover all roads. They kept in touch with each other by radio. And they drove fast because they realized that even on a bicycle, a man can make time if he's desperate. Where are we now, Dean? About 20 miles outside of Vancourt. Must be awfully strong. Hmm? Who? Whoever's peddling that bike to get this far so fast, and with a passenger. Yeah, if they're still using the bike. Or if they haven't ducked off into a field. Well, if they have, we should be able to catch them in the morning. <clears throat> the whole area's been alerted. They managed to disappear completely for at least 24 hours so far. I know, Phil, but if we... That is a bicycle, isn't it? Looks like it from here. You have your gun ready? Yes. Dean, do you see anybody on the handlebars? No. Don't tell me it's going to be a farmer out for a joyride. At this hour of the morning? Say. Huh? Pull over to the side there. Where are you going, mister? Vancourt. What for? Why do you want to know? We're federal officers. What's your name? Frank Johnson. Isn't it kind of late to be out for a ride, Mr. Johnson? Oh, my sister just had a baby. I rode over to see her. Oh, from where? Vancourt. You live there? Yes. Can we see your draft card, please? I'm sorry I forgot it. You know how it is when you get a call that the baby... What's the matter? Where'd you get that scar on your cheek? Germany. Where's Lieutenant Tanner? I really could not say, but probably very well taken care of. What do you mean? Americans are extremely hospitable and just as stupid. I think you'd better get in the car, Hackenberg. Captain Hockenberg. Captain Hockenberg. Thank you, sir. By morning, the Texas newspapers and radio stations had spread the report. One prisoner was captured, but the other was still at large. An escaped Nazi was still free, was still somewhere in the vicinity of Vancourt, Texas. The cooperation of every citizen was requested, and the response was fast. 
Report after report came into the FBI and the state and local police. Report after report was checked and followed up. The most promising came from a doctor. Well, gentlemen, I was coming home from a late call, and just as I passed that filling station outside San Angelo, I noticed a man climbing into the back of this truck. About what time was that, Doctor? Oh, I left the hospital at 2. I guess that was about 5 after. What'd the man look like? Well, to tell the truth, I didn't notice him much or think much about it. Well, I heard the radio broadcast about the escaped prisoners this morning. Well, thank you, Doctor. We appreciate your help. That doesn't sound like much help. It doesn't even sound like a real clue. But the FBI checks everything, every report. Special agents immediately called the owner of the San Angelo filling station. He remembered selling gas to a truck driver a little after two in the morning before but he'd only seen one man on the truck. From the gas coupon, the agents learned the license number of the truck. From the license registration, they learned the name and address of the owner. And then they went to him to see what they could learn from the truck itself. You can see for yourself, I'm here fixing a blowout like it was. Anybody could hop on the bag without me seeing them. Would be pretty easy, don't you think, Dean? Well, let's see if there's anything in the bag to prove that Nazi was riding with you. Well, what you looking for? Oh, lots of things. Fingerprints? Yeah, but with all this cloth back here, I don't know if we'll find any. The surface is too soft to... Phil, you have your flashlight? Sure. Shine it over here, will you? Is that your hatchet, Mr. Lang? Yeah, use it to open crates. You mind if we borrow it to send to our laboratory for a fingerprint check? No, sir, it's all... Hey. What? That Nancy could have been riding the back of my truck and picked up my hatchet. Hey, I had a pretty narrow escape. Well, we don't know yet whether he was the one. Even so... Wait he... a minute. Shine that flash over here, Phil. Right. Yeah, this may be something. That? Sure. Why, that's just a little piece of thread. Here's an envelope for it, Dean. Thanks. This little piece of thread, Mr. Lang, is going to take a long trip to our laboratory in Washington. What for? They'll find out what kind of a shirt it came from. And I got a hunch it came from the kind of shirt worn by prisoners of war. The hatchet and the piece of thread arrived at the FBI laboratory in Washington on the morning of June 21st. That afternoon, the result of the examination was teletyped to special agents in Texas. From a small piece of thread, from one fingerprint on the blade of a hatchet, there was proof, conclusive proof, that the hitchhiker on the back of the truck had been Lieutenant Paul Tanner of the German Navy. But where had he gone? Where was he now? An escaped prisoner of war, a Nazi, was still at large in the state of Texas. When a convict escapes jail or when a Nazi escapes prison camp, it is fairly easy to catch him during the first two or three days because the trail is fresh. But after that, just as rain can blot out footprints, the trail can disappear into nowhere. That's what happened to the trail of Paul Tanner, former lieutenant on a German submarine. The search continued all through the summer. Reports came in, but by September, Tanner was still free. Where was he? Still in Texas. As a matter of record, 
He was working as a hired hand for a farmer named Allen. Working under the name of Gene Meyer. Working to get enough money to escape to Mexico. Gene! Gene! Yes, Dickie? Gene, look what I got done. Uh, Dickie, don't start pestering Gene with those model airplanes or whatever they are. But, Pa, we want He worked hard today and he wants to rest. Oh, that's okay, Mr. Allen. Let me see what you got done today, Dickie. Say, Gene, are you going to have to go back to that hospital? Oh, no. Merchant seamen aren't like Army or Navy. We're pretty free. Should I glue this on now? Uh-huh. That's right. Still, it's funny they let you do what you wanted after you got out of the hospital. What do you mean, funny? A little further down, Dickie. Right. We're not making you go back to sea. I told you. I decided to work, to build up my health. Well, I ought to just pray that they let you finish out the harvest. Every time the mail comes, I... Say, that's no model airplane. Whoever said it was, Pa. Anybody can tell it's a submarine. A submarine? Where'd you learn about submarines? Gene drew the plans for it. Oh, it looks just like a picture, one I saw. Oh, nuts. Come on, Gene. We'll finish after supper, Dickie. You wash your hands, Dickie. I did. Wash them again. Oh, Pa. That's a darn good submarine. I guess you... (laughs) What's the matter? Oh, I was going to say it's probably modeled with sub you was on yourself, and then I remembered. Remembered what? They don't have merchant seamen on submarines. Come on, let's eat. Sit down, Mr. Allen. Oh, thank you, sir. Sheriff Ulster said you might have some information for me. Well, I don't know for sure, sir, but I... Well, I think my hired hand's that Nazi prisoner you've been looking for. What makes you think so? Well, uh, he's been helping my little boy build model planes and stuff, uh, you know. Yeah, sure. Well, last night I got a look at something they were making. It was from some plans this fella drew. And you know what the darn thing was? A submarine. Submarine? Yeah. And I got to thinking about it in bed last night. It looked just like the real thing, and I was wondering... Excuse me, Mr. Allen. Sir? Yeah, look at this photograph. You sure? What? Why, that's him. Let's go, Phil. Is this his room, Mr. Allen? Yes, sir. Where is he now? Well, I left him cutting hay down near the river bottom. I think I'll go over there. Right, Phil. Doesn't have much stuff of his own, does he? No, nothing you don't see. Except that little zipper bag there. Let's have a look at it. Sure. Here you are. Huh. I wonder where he picked this up. It doesn't seem to be... What is it? Something in the lining here. A book? It's a diary. Hmm. June 20th. We had a close call today. H completely forgot himself in a restaurant. He sure did. I am a soldier of the Reich, and I must get back to the fatherland. Did he write that junk? It's not junk to him, but to people like him, Mr. Allen. That's something a lot of us don't realize. Listen to this. These Americans are stupid fools. This miserable country will cry for help when the Fuhrer lets loose his secret weapons, and I will be there to help him. That fellow's crazy. Well, he's a Nazi. Dean. Yes? He's gone. What? 
Not a sign of him in the field. He was there when I left. Did he see you go? Sure. Did he ask why you were going? I said for supplies. Guess he knew you didn't go to town often and got suspicious. He must have cleared out right after Mr. Allen did. Why? There was a jug of water next to the mower, and it's full to the top. But where did he go? I don't know where he went, but I know where he was heading. Where? Galveston. He's got it in his diary. Thirty more dollars, and I'm ready to leave for Galveston, then Mexico. I guess he didn't wait for his thirty dollars. Mr. Allen, that river down there... Oh, he'd take you to Galveston, all right. Once I rode there, me and Dickie and... Rode there in what? An old flat bottom I have. Did you have it beached right near the hayfield? Yeah. I followed some footprints down there. Your boat's gone, Mr. Allen. And that Nazi in it? Yes. And if, if he gets to Galveston... Mr. Allen, I don't think he will. The Brazos River winds its way through Texas to Galveston. And along its banks are reeds, tall grass, foliage thick enough to hide a man in a flat-bottomed boat. They hid Paul Tanner for the rest of that hot afternoon. But by nightfall, sheriffs, deputies, state patrolmen, local police, and citizens from all around had joined in the hunt. By nightfall, FBI agents were in planes and motorboats watching the river and keeping contact with each other by walkie-talkie radios. By nightfall, there was a moon, a bright moon that stripped the river of shadows and made it a clear field of vision for a plane flying above. Moving upstream toward the bridge. Nothing yet from up here. We're moving up too, Dean. But this boat's running low on gas. Well, you think you can hold out about... Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Phil. I just saw a reflection of moonlight on... something that... Yes, there it is again. Looks like a wet paddle. Close to the right shore, heading downstream. It's about a quarter of a mile above Dead Man's Bend now. Just below Hempstead. He's moving closer to shore, though. Looks like he's trying to land. Come on. Give her everything you've got. There he is. He's trying to make shore. Cut her off. Stay where you are, I'll shoot. I warn you, Tanner, stay where you are. Okay. Come on, jump aboard. Well... You led us a fine chase. Who's in command here? In command? Yes. I am. Heil Hitler! Incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. In tonight's cast, Tanner was played by Paul Mann. The music was under the direction of Van Cleave. The author was Lawrence MacArthur, and your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. Now, this is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time for This Is Your FBI. FBI.
This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. That was Stacey Harris on This Is Your FBI. And the story, Escaped Prisoners of War, from April the 27th, 1945. In a moment, we'll find out what's coming up on the next Mystery Theater. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Be sure to join me next time on Mystery Theater when we'll hear the adventures of the Falcon, suspense, and calling all cars. This is your host, Christopher Lee, saying thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Mystery Theater with your host, Christopher Lee. The producers of Mystery Theater wish to thank this station and Radio Spirits for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is written by Dennis Etchison, Jim McCants speaking.